Welcome to Analytics for Society, the podcast where we discuss how data can be used to help benefit the greater good of society with some leading experts in this field. I'm your host, Jon Seglem, Managing Director in SAS Institute. I'm excited to lead this podcast to lean in and showcase how technology is making a positive impact on areas beyond what we discuss normally in the business world. Today, we will be discussing how AI can help the environment, fight climate change, and assist businesses in reducing their ecological footprint. Our special guests today are Josefin Roussen, who has a PhD in predictive chemistry, is an AI expert, and works in SAS Institute. She has shared several insightful publications around AI in the context of value creation, ethical dilemmas, and how to handle black box and bias when decisions are made by algorithms. Our second guest is Parsi Hellenius. He works as a principal data scientist for SAS Global Practice, helping customers succeed with projects on artificial intelligence, machine learning, forecasting, and predictive analytics. Through this, he's also engaged in some of the most impactful projects globally relevant for the topic today. Thank you both for joining. Thank you. Thank you, Jörn. So, to kick this off, the recent UN report warns that more than one million plant and animals are at risk of going extinct in the near future. Scientists blame human activities that have led to a loss of habitat, climate change, overfishing, pollution and invasive species. What concerns you the most about this report? Well, I would say it's all highly concerning. But uh, I'm actually originally a trained and licensed pharmacist. And maybe that is why I can't help reflecting around that all of these plants and animals you mentioned at risk. Also, historically, a great source of remedies. As much as 50% of all drugs that we use in clinic today have natural origin. And actually, as much as 70% of all cancer drugs are used today. And around 4 billion people rely primarily on natural medicines. So without biodiversity, many of the drugs in modern medicine that keeps us healthy wouldn't exist today. I think most of the CO2 emissions have been going up from, from the 80s. So it's doubled from the 80s, the CO2 emissions. So that's one thing. It's very recent. Then uh, the actions that we need to take, that's, this is a very urgent problem. And then obviously the severity of the problem is also really big, as you can see from the report. So I think there's those three things that are really concerning. So let's take a step back then and discuss kind of like new, some of the new technologies here, we, we, we all hear about this AI being propelled out of research labs and into our everyday personal lives. Gartner even predicts that 70% of organizations will integrate AI to assist employees' productivity by 2021. At the same time, I hear this talk about, you know, artificial narrow intelligence and artificial general intelligence and even artificial super intelligence. So what exactly is AI? If you think about the era we're at the moment, we're still at the era of narrow AI. So we have really good algorithms for narrow specific topics, but we don't have a general intelligence that can just go and solve every problem. So the same algorithm doesn't drive the car that predicts uh, what you're going to do next on the website. They have no clue about it. So basically it's narrow AI, but it can be really effective in that narrow field. Yeah, and, and, and there's, of course, a lot of definitions out there about AI. So SAS definition is something like computers learn, learning from data and, and making predictions based on the data. That's essentially what it is, making predictions and decisions and learning from data. So no data, no AI. We can twist it a little bit by generating some, some artificial data also. But yeah, in, in a sense, you need something to learn from. And also, I mean, this could be very, very simple as, you know, very straightforward tasks. And it can also be more complicated things like analyzing raw liver scans, using computer vision to identify tumors faster and more accurate than a trained doctor could. 
and then provide a written summary of the insights from the analysis using natural language generation. This makes life easier for the oncologist, of course, but also it increases throughput so that we can treat many more people better and uh, also more consistent. So in more depth, kind of like uh, there are several terminologies related to AI that are often mixed together. Could you help me create a simple explanation of the difference between this artificial intelligence, AI, machine learning and deep learning? When I speak about AI, I I often refer to AI as an umbrella because AI is really the broadest of these terms. Uh, And under the umbrella, you will find a number of enablers where machine learning, I would say, is the most important enabler. And deep learning is actually a type of machine learning. So it's neural networks with many hidden layers. That's why we call them deep learning. And they are very complex, very flexible algorithms that has fabulous accuracy, I would say. Uh, and they are used, for instance, in the example that I mentioned with, uh, you know, identifying tumors in, in liver scans, uh, computer vision cases, for instance. Good examples. And, and if we look into AI, why, why do we see trending right now, AI in the broader term? Why it's such a hot topic now? Well, we've got a lot more compute power. So we can actually do those deep learning activities and we can actually test them. So it's not a theory, but it's something that we can actually use and work with real data, which brings the second big topic, that is data. So we got so much more data now with all the sensors, with all the digitalization going on, our personal devices and so on. So, so it's a huge, massive amount of data that we can collect and then train these algorithms with. So, so that's really two things we need to actually build models. And then, of course, we got good studies, good things in the universities going on, actually producing new ways of using neural networks, for example, new architecture types and so on. But, but the cores of those algorithms have been actually around a really long time. Yeah, and I think if you see, if you park technology for for a little uh, moment here and we look back to kind of like the environment, the World Economic Forum published a report uh, early last year on harnessing AI for the earth, where they address kind of like our most pressing environmental challenges like climate change, healthy oceans, water security, clean air, and protecting this biodiversity that you talked about earlier, Josephine. They also outline priority action areas to address them. Building on that, where do you see AI having the biggest impact? Well, that's a broad question. (laughs) There's a lot of different areas where AI can have a large impact, but United Nations have set up 17 sustainable development goals in 2015 for the year of 2030. And uh, a study I read recently found that AI can influence the ability to meet all of these 17 goals. And for the 169 targets these goals bring up, AI could enable 76% of those. And if we look only into the environment group, which is probably the most interesting for this podcast, AI could enable 93% of those targets. So AI is, is definitely a very promising tool in this area, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And we've been working in many of those industries, different fields with AI for a lot of time. For example, we started with agriculture already in the 70s. That's why SAS was actually created to to analyze agriculture data. So it goes back a long way. But if you think about agriculture nowadays, uh, and you think all the data that you can actually get from the fields, for example, then you will get uh, a lot of sensor data, but you will also get satellite images. You will also get drone images. 
And what can you do with them? You can actually look at where the, where the field is moist, where it's not. Uh, there's also bots being built that can actually detect weed from the real thing that you're growing and actually in small scale also pick it up and not use pesticides. So that's quite, quite a lot. Combine this with the weather data and better weather forecasts you can actually change the way agriculture works. Yeah, exactly. Because if you know it's going to rain, then you don't have to water as much. You can save on water. And if you know it's going to be very great circumstances for the crops, then you don't need fertilizers as much. And that brings us into to another area, which is our waters. And of course, they will benefit from less watering and limited use of fertilizers and pesticides, just like Fasi mentioned. But also here you can use computer vision to identify, for instance, different types of pollutions like oil spills and, and other, other types of pollutions as well, and then quickly be able to take action. And if you think about animals and the biodiversity, we've actually worked with, with, with an organization called WildTrack to actually detect wildlife tracks in nature. And I think this case was done in Namibia, uh, in Africa. And, and there we actually track which animal is it where was it going? And you could also uh, detect how fast it was going from the footprints of, of the animal. So this helps the biologist to track where, where the species are and basically protect endangered species. Exactly. Then we have climate change, which is probably the largest area, I would say. Um, there's also a lot of things we can do here with AI. Uh, let's start with, for instance, autonomous cars. AI helps them not only to navigate, but also to do that as efficiently as possible using different driving algorithms. And I read in another report <laughs> that, that autonomous vehicles alone can cause a 2 to 4% reduction in oil consumption, which means also, of course, reduction in greenhouse gas emission annually over the next 10 years. So the cars should, of course, then be electrical. <laughs> when uh, talking about traffic, I would also like to mention AI-enabled traffic lights. Uh, those would have sensors and cameras and they can then optimize the flow of traffic. And this has actually been tested in, I think it was around 50 intersections in Pittsburgh. Uh, and there it has already reduced travel time by 25% and idling by as much as 40%. And another great example re related to traffic is uh, Boston's public school buses. They use SAS to optimize their, their roads and they have managed to reduce their carbon dioxide emission by 6,000 kilograms per day, which is pretty amazing, I think. We've been working with, for example, building maintenance companies to actually look at how efficient the buildings are, the office buildings. And, and there you've made quite a lot of interesting discoveries, like starting from utilization of the rooms that they, they were not actually utilized that much. You could also predict things. So you could predict who's going to be in the room or if no one's going to be in the room. So why do you cool the room if no one's going to come there? You could also find points of time which didn't actually acquire too intelligent AI that you were actually heating and cooling at the same time. So there really are, is a lot of potential if you look at individual building. And it goes all the way to the network. Think about buildings as energy stores. You can basically store energy to a building when you have too much energy. So you heat when you, when you have excess power. And then you basically use that when you have the peak prices for electricity. Same goes for electric cars. So, so it's all about smart grid and renewable energy that kind of requires that because the sun will shine when it will shine. And we need to balance the, the network load uh, based on that. Same goes for, for wind. So, so back to that point, but building on that posse, um, we see, you know, there are big environmental challenges. We have technology coming there, big data and all that. We have 
So th- this should be perfect, you know, growing, um, perfect place to actually start using this to have an impact on the environment. What what are the biggest challenges you see as to us doing this? If you, if you think about climate, we have political issues. We could do a big impact by saying not burning coal, for example. But if you think about AI and the incentive of doing environmental things with AI, basically helping the environment with AI, the incentive is probably that drives it. We can do good for doing good. That's that's one thing. But if we have a financial incentive to do that in the organizations, then then we can find those use cases that are really, really good ones. Then, of course, we got every AI problem has its own problems that are built in. It's the data, what data we have available, how good is the data, and so on. Then do we have the skills to do this? Do we need some special skills? Do we have the domain knowledge? Do we have the algorithm knowledge that you can actually get from the market if you like? And then do we have the tools, the actual capabilities to build that solution and deploy it to actually do something on the field? Not just a study, but actually actively guide and make decisions also in agriculture. We have been discussing, you know, like uh, the one of our customers, multinational Carrefour, relies on AI to, to optimize supply chain management and reduce food waste. And according to UN, you know, one third of the food produced in the world for human consumption every year, approximately 1.3 billion tons, gets lost or wasted. And most of this is wasted before it even gets to consumers. Parsi, you, you've been working with Carrefour, and you're also quoted as, as stating AI is the easiest way to help the environment. What, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is is exactly what I pointed out a little bit earlier. So we have to cut down our air travels and so on, or we need to eat less meat and something like that, which is, of course, something we need to do. I'm not saying that. But with a lot of these AI cases, we're actually making an existing process more efficient without anyone losing anything. So if we predict the demand better going forward, like in a retailer store, you got, let's say, 5,000 products on your shelves, then you got a couple of hundred stores, you got quite a lot of things to forecast because you need to know for each day how many items you need there. And if it's fresh food, it has a shelf life of a couple of days. So you need to be really good in your numbers. You got new products, it's a difficult forecasting problem, you got new stores opening, so it's really a big data problem that you need to solve using analytics and AI. And um, yeah, AI, AI is the way to make it better and, and have a really big impact. Like Nestle, for example, as a CPG company, it produces 1 billion consumer units each day. Now imagine if you can cut or, or reduce their forecasting error by a couple of units, that has a huge impact on the waste and and, and actually also on the upside so that they're more accurate with their forecasts. So I want to take us a bit back to Car 4. I think that's a good example of, of a company using technology and AI to solve a problem that will have a substantial business impact as well, but at the same time doing something good. Uh, for companies that doesn't have AI built into their business strategy yet, Josephine, what's, what's your perspective? Where do they start? I would say this applies for all AI. Uh, if you invest in AI, you must also invest in that it's ethical and fair and uh, sustainable. It is so important, I would say, to make sure that you already from the beginning are making sure that you develop ethical, fair and trustworthy AI and that you're not amplifying bias, for instance. And uh, the EU Commission recently released seven requirements for developing trustworthy AI. These are no rules or laws yet, but they are certainly a first step towards some type of regulation, which is highly needed, I would say. Uh, In addition to these requirements, there is also a checklist that comes together with these requirements. And this checklist 
I really encourage you to check out because it contains questions that guides you on how to technically implement requirements. And you can go through the list and you can tick off what you already have in place and, and you can also become aware of what you need to look into. So that's a really good place to start, I think, if you don't have a strategy yet. That's very good advice. Uh, I also wanted to get your perspectives on kind of like the all-up impact of AI on society. We're discussing a bit some of the, the interesting use cases we have. And Gartner says by 2020, AI will create more jobs than it eliminates. At the same time, we see leading analytical companies like SaaS working to embed AI into software to not only drive decisions, but also iterations of decisions, building on insights from both humans and machines. So this combination of technology and humans complementing each other is, is kind of like what MIT researcher Kate Darling's work highlights. And she believes the potential of robots is to help humans do a better job. What's your take on this? Are you optimistic on the future job market and our ability to work together with those machines and technology? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely optimistic. And I, I definitely think that more jobs will be created. So I don't see that as a threat at all. It will be different jobs, though, of course. I read another published, <laughs> another study recently that Accenture did. And I really like how they proposed three main categories of new types of jobs. Uh, trainers, explainers, and sustainers, where trainers then are those who develop and design the algorithms and applications, and explainers are those highly needed to communicate in an understandable way to business what the algorithms and the, the applications are doing. And the sustainers, they're making sure that things are going as intended, and they're also making sure that things are continue to go as intended. So these are three main main categories of future jobs, which I think is is fairly true. What do you think, Basi? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really good. And I, and I would like to pick on the point of augmenting the, the, the human efforts. Um, I don't think too many jobs will be lost, but I think that all jobs will be affected and, and, and it will be augmented in, in many of those cases. Yeah, we, we talked about the doctor already, but there's another example, like from supply chain planning. There's been a lot of focus and in all, all of the retail, all of the CPG companies, they have a lot of people actually planning how much they need to produce. So, so that job has contained a lot of knowledge of the products and how they are being sold for their for their end consumers. Uh, so, so basically the person's knowledge is, is, is about that particular part of the market. So how does AI change that? So, so now that we can generate some of the forecasts more automated so that you don't have to spend so much time to actually getting the number right, what, what can you do then? Well, then you can focus a lot more on uh, maybe analyzing how your promotions are affecting. So your job becomes more analytical and you can actually start making an impact on on what your sales is. So if you analyze the promotion, you can then build scenarios on how what kind of campaign should we run to actually actually be able to sell that amount. So you're actually starting to drive your business with the with the analytics rather than 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 just bluntly getting a, a number out and then producing it. Mm. That's a good example as well. I think Josephine, uh, we talk, talked earlier as well on the on the augmenting side. You know how technology is helping us make better decisions. Uh, what do you think? You know, in terms of you, you're at SaaS, what is your company doing to help organizations that play AI? To, you know, to help them reduce their ecological footprint. Well, um, I would say. We do a lot of things at SAS. <laughs> we recently announced that we are investing $1 billion in AI on capabilities as well as training and expertise. And this is, I would say, a big commitment that enables us to help organizations to develop use cases similar to those that we have talked about today 
during this podcast to help reduce their ecological footprint and also to make sure that they are doing it in an ethical and sustainable way. Yeah, and to add to that, I think the biggest impact that we do is actually through our customers. So, so what our customers do with the software, with AI and analytics, that, that actually has a really big impact. We talked about Carrefour, we talked about Nestle, you could talk about smart buildings, heating, cooling uh, more efficiently, smart grid. All these things are making an impact and AI is really in the core of that. So, so, so our impact is definitely through our customers. That's the, that's the biggest uh, impact that we have, I think. To build on that, we say, you know, like we have technology and we have humans, you know, and technology can take us, you know, so far in terms of actually having an impact. We also talk about, you know, data for good and what the company is doing beyond the technology side. So if you look at at, at SaaS, then you present as well, uh, Palsy, what, what are we doing beyond uh, the technology side to, to, to create a better society? That, that's a good question. I think that we're a little bit techy company, so we always have a little bit of a tech angle on everything we try to do. But actually, if, if you think about that question, we're doing some very concrete things. For example, we have a big solar farm. So we have a lot of cl- cloud compute. It takes a lot of energy, so we build a solar farm. So that's uh, as, as straightforward as that, producing some of the, the energy for the cloud compute and the offices with solar farm. We have Earth Week. We have we just had one in Sweden where we looked at the office, how how the office is working, how do we make sure that we have lead certified offices and things like that. But on on another take, we we're doing projects on on the topic of data for good, and that that gives us a little bit of wiggle room as individuals to actually contribute something. We can it can be very local projects that we can work on. In in Finland, we're working on zero waste program that's basically trying to avoid pollution in Baltic Sea. Uh, that's one topic. But then we've also worked with the charities like... Um, the Smart Disaster Response. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's, that's a very nice example because that, that's basically a case where we need urgent response. So you can analyze real time. Yeah, data. exactly. We need to analyze the data real time to get the help through to the people that 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 need it. And this is what we did in Nepal a year or two ago. I think that is a good example of, of not not only being technology but also people caring. You yeah, know, you, yeah. you need to have people that care and that you know are allowed to care from exactly. the company. So that's a have the room to care. Good and advice to me as a business bit. leader as well that you should open up for that. Yeah, exactly. In your company, so if we build, continue on that note, and then you know, to be a bit personal as well, being a father, uh, you, the urine report we touched upon earlier it kind of like really concerns me. There is a clear evidence that we should hurry to to act to safeguard the planet, you know, for future generations, and there is technology to help. So if we lead that onwards, what, what would be your top three tips to me as a business leader or businesses and, and leaders in general that want to reduce their ecological footprint? Well, uh, I think we can help each other out here. But if I start, I think one of the most important thing is that we need to create awareness as the first thing. We need to make sure that the employees at our workplace, that they are encouraged to do what they can do on their end. And that can be everything from recycling or walking or biking to work or using less paper, or taking shorter showers and 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 so on. At our office in Sweden, where I work, we have a group called the Green Office, and uh, they are actually doing a fantastic job in enlightening us on what we can do to help reduce our ecological footprint. And for instance, just like Pasi mentioned, they are organizing this Earth Week every year, where they are organizing various activities to inspire us not only that week, but throughout the year, what we can do to be more climate smart, so to say. And uh, right now, they're, for instance, also planning a hackathon for 
for the climate, which we should look out for. It could be very interesting, I think. That is really interesting. And, mm. and, and I think that, that secondly, if we think about the what organizations should do, I think it should be very systematic in, in the way we, way we handle environment. We should obviously look at the core business that we do. That's of course, uh, it should be natural, uh, but it should go throughout the organization, like your travel policy, if you think about it. You should have a way of, of, of taking a look at all the environmental aspects of what you do, and it should be a process rather than, than ad hoc things. Uh, but if you carefully review your, your actions yearly, biannually, whatever makes sense in your context, I, I think that makes it into a process and a, and a way of working rather than individual nice good things that, that we do. Then maybe thirdly, yeah, think where you should apply AI. Uh, there's a lot of potential there on, on the AI side in the environment, as we saw from the examples. Yeah, and that we hope that we have inspired you to, to do during this podcast. <laughs> we are where we are now, and not 2019, you know. So what, what are your future hopes for AI? Well, I think like we talked about, AI, you know, can make everything faster and more accurate than we could do as people. And uh, together with our human skills and more awareness around environmental issues in our society so that everyone do their part, I hope that we together can do a lot of things to save the environment. Yeah, and I think that we should be uh, thinking about where we apply AI and uh, we should do good. (laughs) Yeah, use AI for good. Yes, exactly. Great. We're running a bit low on time, so I want to finish off by asking you a final question. You're both obviously passionate about, uh, engaged about AI and the environment. And what are your inspirational sources and where should the audience go to follow you and find out more about this topic? Well, uh, I look a little bit everywhere. I follow hashtags and I follow certain subjects uh, in different forums. But when I find something that is inspirational, when I write something and in blogs or publications myself, I usually share them on Twitter or LinkedIn. So I think that you should go follow me there. And I think the same go for you. Yes, Pasi. exactly. I'm more active on LinkedIn than, than Twitter, but I try to boost my Twitter every now and then. Thank you for joining us today, Parsi and Josephine. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to the Analytics for Society podcast, where we have been discussing AI and the environment. Both our guests, the World Economic Forum and UN are clear. Technology and artificial intelligence can play a substantial role in fighting environmental challenges. We've heard some great examples today to learn and be inspired from, but it all comes down to the personal leadership of individuals and companies to reach real impact. Tune in to our other episodes to learn more about how AI can help your business with social innovation and transformation, and at the same time benefit the greater good of society. 